Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us and that you invite us to follow you. We pray today and over the weeks that come that you would teach us, teach us what it means to respond to your call and that you would find us faithful, we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good morning again to you all. Today's a significant day in the life of our church. We begin this morning the nine-week journey that we've discussed, a nine-week journey through this book, The Practices of Love, and yet uh, perhaps more immediately significantly, it's the first time we've been together since I shared with you all uh, the news of my transition and the way that will affect the Northside community. If you've not had a chance to do so, I'd encourage you to read uh, a very long letter that I wrote to you all uh, and shared last Sunday. And then if you've not had a chance to watch it, to watch the video uh, of Chris McDaniel and myself uh, discussing this transition and what that means for the life of this parish. It was a really um, holy and, and wonderful time together that he and I had to be able to discuss this. And uh, I think it'll answer maybe a lot of the questions you have um, or have been asking yourself. And so go back and watch that if you've not been able to do so. Um, and yet I will just reiterate here, um, this transition is not born out of a scandal. It's not born out of um, division. It's not born out of a crisis of faith, but is actually born out of attentiveness to our Lord Jesus. Um, specifically for me, it's, it's interesting that our gospel reading, which was assigned years ago to be read today, is all about Jesus calling his first disciples and saying to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And so for me, in a very real way, these words hit home because they are, for me, um, words that I have tried my best to live by for the last few months and believe that this transition is born out of a life of discipleship, where it's me hearing the call of Jesus on my life. And as he says, follow me, choosing to respond even um, with the challenges that that brings, but it's born out of attentiveness. And I would simply say to you that that's the invitation before each and every one of us as well, to say, are we being attentive to the call of Jesus on our own lives? As he says, follow me. Because discipleship is not a single call. He doesn't say to these disciples and he doesn't say to us, follow me and then never speak again. There's that initial call, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And yet there's a continual call of our Lord. There's a continual invitation. Follow me is a word he speaks to us every single day and the way in which he invites and the way in which he leads looks different from season to season. Um, and that is true in seasons of great joy, and it's true in seasons of uh, difficulty and seasons that are confusing and even disorienting. And I know there's no way around the fact that the next few months for the Northside community will likely be disorienting and confusing in many ways. Um, and yet, I would remind you, and as, as I remind myself, that this is born out of attentiveness. It's born out of a desire to say, Jesus, we want to follow as you lead. And I would invite you to do the very same thing. This last year has invited or given space, I'm sure, for reassessment and reflection in ways that many of us have not previously experienced. And so in that is disorientation, but in that is also always an invitation to say, are we at the same time hearing the voice of Jesus? And how do we have the courage? Are we willing to follow wherever that voice may lead? So, um, I invite you to 
uh, hold this season with an open hand and begin to cultivate that listening ear to say, Jesus, where are you calling me? Where are you leading me? We can talk about this more afterward. If there's things you'd like to process, I'd be happy to do so. Um, And yet I think that one of the most significant things we can do as a community for the months that lie ahead of us for this spring season is the path that we have laid out to journey through this book, The Practices of Love. And why do I say that? Why do I believe it's a significant way for us to move forward? Because I think it will teach us to do what I'm encouraging you to do. If I'm saying be attentive and learn to follow as he leads, I think this book is a very practical next step in that direction because it shows us how to live as disciples. It's this lived reality of discipleship. And what do I mean by that? I think it's very easy for us to think about following Jesus and spend a lot of our lives as Christians thinking about following or to say we believe in the importance of following Jesus. And yet what we have to do is actually follow him, to actually follow him with concrete, realistic steps that impact and shape the way we live in the world, the way we experience the world. And I think that's why this book is so helpful. If you've picked it up, if you've begun reading it, you'll notice in the very beginning, even before the preface, he has a handful of quotes. And I loved the one he gives from Dostoevsky, which says this, the chief thing is to love others like yourself. That's the chief thing and that's everything. Nothing else is wanted. You will find out at once how how to arrange it all. And yet it's an old truth which has been told and retold a billion times, but it has not formed part of our lives. It is such a good quote because for the next nine weeks, you will likely hear nothing new. You will hear things you have heard a billion times, especially if you've been around church. Even if you've been around church just for a minute, we're talking basic low-hanging fruit, basic thoughts around prayer, fasting, discipleship, and yet, as that quote says, those thoughts, those things we've heard have not formed part of our lives. And I think that's the invitation before us today to say, how do these thoughts about discipleship, these thoughts about God actually form our lives? How do they form the actual lives that you and I live? He says, uh, we need to make sure we see the trees and not just the forest. Uh, it's actually a really helpful thing because we, we sometimes say the other, like we get lost in the woods or lost in the weeds and we miss the forest. I think in discipleship, it's the other way around. He's right in this. We often know the big sweeping vision of faith. We know the basic tenets of Christian belief and doctrine and those matter a great deal, but they have to be applied in the woods. They have to actually be applied, as he says, in seeing the trees. How does this impact our daily lives? And the thing I love about this book is that it says, not just how does this change my life with God, but how does this actually impact my neighbor? How does following Jesus um, in some way bring truth or beauty or goodness to your neighborhood, to your apartment complex? How is this outward oriented as well? And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But we have to wrestle with these questions because we don't often ask them, but we are invited to ask them. One of the ways we're going to do this, one of the ways I want you to consider wrestling with these questions is by signing up for the Thursday Zoom call. Um, I think these homilies in many ways will just set a very basic stage for the real work 
that will be done on that call, on that meeting, which begins this Thursday night, which is a chance to actually wrestle as a community with these questions, to say, okay, how does the way I fast? How does the way I pray actually in any way bless my neighbor? Um, and this is a way to do so, to actually have that conversation with other people, not just to keep it in your head, but to get it out of yourself and to make meaningful steps forward. And so go online and sign up um, and you'll receive more information as we get closer to Thursday night. But consider doing so. I think it's a way to, as he says multiple times in chapter one of this book, he says we have to discipline our daily deeds. I think if you just leave this as a Sunday sermon, it will be very hard to discipline your daily deeds, to actually bring and see real growth and, and change in these areas. Otherwise, this will just be a nice little mental exercise. You'll think a few nice thoughts, and then you'll get on with your life, get on with your week. Consider making that a priority so that you can discipline your deeds in concrete, real ways. And that's what he says throughout this book. This has to be done in community, just like the monks of old. The monks realized they couldn't do this in isolation. And so they formed communities of faith because they knew together that through this communal effort, they might find a way to live this way of life, to follow Jesus in the daily deeds of their life. I love the way in which the story we just read from Mark's gospel is remarkably mundane. I think if you were a vocational fisherman, mending your nets is just about the most mundane part of your day, the most trivial daily deed you could possibly imagine. And yet that's the moment Jesus breaks in. He breaks into them mending their nets. It's like Jesus breaking into your life, folding a mountain of laundry that's on your bed or breaking into your life while you're doing virtual schooling and trying to not go crazy, or while your child's trying to not go crazy, staring at a Chromebook for eight hours a day, or while you're filing your taxes, because that's in the back of all of our minds this time of year. It's those kind of trivial, mundane realities that Jesus wants to say those matter to your Christian life. Those are not insignificant to the way you follow Jesus. And somehow, in the mystery of God's providence, those matter to your neighbor. The way you do your taxes matters to your neighbor. You've likely never wrestled with that or thought that in that way, but these are all interconnected, and that's the invitation to see how these are connected. I wanted to read for you um, from this book. If you've not yet uh, had a chance to engage this, on page 25, um, make sure you, you uh, spend a little bit of time on that page. Uh, I'm gonna read a little paragraph because I think it's super helpful as he unpacks this idea of seeing and finding God in our daily activities. He says this, spiritual formation is not just one component of our lives. It's not even one aspect of our lives. And it absolutely isn't one field of Christian study separable from theology, ethics, psychology, or economics, for example. By the Holy Spirit, spiritual formation wholly forms all aspects of our lives into the image of Christ who lived in, with, and through the Spirit. It's about bringing all things human, our thoughts, attitudes, habits, practices, behavior, and lifestyle under the power and sway of God, just as Jesus did. It's about living in and with and for God, just as Jesus did. It's about doing and being all things human in ways that witness to God's kingdom and his purposes for all of life, just as Jesus did. And this is very, very important. Spiritual formation, life in the spirit, 
is about fixing the itty-bitty things of our lives so that they align with the rules, regulations, and rhythms of God's kingdom, just as Jesus did. It's about disciplining our daily deeds. I feel like a year of pandemic has caused us to be inattentive to the itty-bitty things in our lives um, because we're trying to just hang on or we feel too tired or too exhausted to uh, tend to those parts of our lives. And yet I think he's spot on in saying those parts actually really matter. And if we ignore them, we do, t- we do so to our spiritual detriment. I'll close with this. We'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, many spiritual writers over the years have talked about a threefold dimension to the Christian life or a three directions in which our life with God is lived. Um, up, in, and out. This idea that we live our lives uh, upward in a life of worship oriented towards God. Uh, this inward life in which we encounter the life of God um, in our own spirit, in our own souls, this personal experience of God, but also this outward dimension where we say, how does that personal encounter with God through worship transform my life with others. And I think part of this book is saying we don't balance those three things well. We tend to focus on the up and the in and rarely give significant thought to that outward expression. And yet to live our lives faithfully as Christian followers, as Jesus says, follow me, it is an invitation out of ourselves and into a life lived for the sake of others. And I'll close with this image. Uh, As a pastor, uh, I've been able to do weddings over the years, uh, many opportunities to um, stand before a couple and their friends and their family um, and see them joined in holy matrimony, as we say. Uh, It's a unique perspective because I get to see things that none of you would see if you were attending a wedding. Uh, You likely see uh, the back of their heads for a good portion of the service. What I get to see is the fear and the hopes and the joy kind of all mixed into one on their faces staring at me trying to not faint. Uh, And it's a really fun moment. And I've said this in every wedding sermon I've ever given. Um, I'm sure none of them remember anything that happened that day. Um, But I think it's significant because what I say is in the wedding service, all three of those dimensions um, are given expression. They begin the service looking at me. That's how the wedding service begins. In a sense, it's an upward orientation, not because I'm God by any means, but my role in the service is to remind them of the promises of God, the way in which God designed marriage and and offers it for our good. And so they begin with this Godward orientation upward in worship, and then they turn towards one another. You know these these movements. That's when the you know the uh, the best man you know tries to not drop the rings, and you know like they're looking at each other, making promises to one another, saying, having now been reminded of our life with God, we will live this way of life towards one another to give our lives away in sacrificial love. And as Christian disciples, it's like we stop there so often and miss the fact that that wedding service ends with them turning around and then facing all of you, doesn't it? And there's that presentation, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And that's not just a moment to cheer and clap and and kind of give them a, a thumbs up. It's actually a theological statement that says, this is now the orientation of their lives. Having worshiped, having lived an intimate life with one another, they now are equipped and ready to orient and turn their life out towards the world. And in so doing, if you ever go to a wedding again, remember those movements because it's meant to remind you and me that that's the orientation of our lives as well. 
upward in worship, inward as we encounter the Holy Spirit, and turned outwards for the life of the world. And that's what we're going to spend nine, nine weeks talking about. Um, but it begins in those itty-bitty spaces of our life. And so that begins on Thursday night, discussing the ways in which this ties in uh, to our lived experience. So I hope you'll join us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible ways that you invite us to follow you, sometimes in unexpected, um, disorienting ways, and yet we know that you are good and you love us even more than we can love ourselves. And so every call upon our lives is for our good and for your glory. And so would you give us the strength and the courage to follow you and to discipline the daily realities of our lives, to bring them in alignment and order them towards your kingdom, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand and we'll continue with our service as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.